It is hard to argue against the idea that the world is built upon connection. From the tiniest atoms to nature and even technology, everything in our world depends on its relationship to others. Studies into human relationships tell the incredible story of the power of connection. Positive, healthy human relationships are linked to better mental and physical health outcomes. In today's busy world, we are asked to connect to others on a regular basis. And yet, there is often little understanding of the vast impacts our interactions have. Welcome to Season 2 of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness, where we dive into some of the most common, as well as a few overlooked, relationships we experience in a lifetime. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, and I am honored to be a part of your day. Let's get into today's episode. Friendships are highly valued in society. Even in the animal kingdom, social development is a key component of growth and survival. One thing that human children and animal cubs have in common is learning to interact and fight. Pups, cubs, and other species by engaging with peers around the same age. Research has found that in youth, the human brain's learning is almost solely done through social connection and face-to-face interaction. From infancy through early childhood, relationships are a key component in survival. And flocking, or turning to your village, is the first line of defense in our threat response system. The power of a close group of friends is often discussed across all settings, including movies like Now and Then and The Shawshank Redemption, or television series like Sex in the City, where friendship is the foundation of the storyline. Developing peer relationships can be both fun and difficult yet ultimately rewarding for all. They challenge us to be vulnerable, face painful rejection, and teach us the importance of discerning what we value in order to choose healthy, successful peers. Many youth and adults struggle with the idea of leaning on another person, an idea that attachment therapists refer to as insecure attachment, because both being a dependable friend and being willing to lean on a friend requires a great deal of commitment and trust. It's important that we learn it's possible to experience trusting relationships early on. Research links strong, positive peer relationships to positive outcomes throughout an individual's life. Having solid peer support systems feeds our feelings of self-worth and self-efficacy and allows us to move through the world with a sense of safety. Many of us, however, have real struggles with developing these long-term connections. Here to discuss why friendship is so important to overall wellness how to take risks and choose healthy friendships, and how to help our children learn to do the same, is licensed professional counselor Mackenzie Palmer. Mackenzie graduated from Louisiana State University with a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. Later, she obtained her Master's degree in Professional Counseling from the University of Houston. Mackenzie primarily works with children and adolescents ages 3 to 18 by using a collaborative approach and lots of play. Mackenzie enjoys working with families to aid them in recognizing their own strengths, as well as identifying areas of growth to promote positive change. Mackenzie's counseling experience includes helping clients with ADHD, anxiety, depression, divorce, parenting challenges, and adoption-related concerns, among other specialties. She incorporates play therapy, art therapy, and age-appropriate cognitive behavioral therapy, throughout sessions to engage clients and best guide them to success. Welcome, Mackenzie. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm excited for this. So let's start with something fun. Do you remember your first friend as a child? Or is there a friend group from your childhood that made such an impact that you remember them today? Yes, that's a really great question. So I think I should preface by saying I'm from a pretty small town in South Louisiana. And so in reflecting on this, I truly think that has so much to do with the friendships that I have today and that I've made throughout my life. But going back to your question. So, yes, I met my, I would still call her my best friend um, in kindergarten. And I feel like that's pretty rare these days. So I do feel really lucky to have met her. And it was her, along with a group of 
three other girls and me included, there were five of us total and we um, all went to the same school. Our parents were friends and we went through middle school together, elementary, middle school, high school, college, and we're still friends to this day. So I feel really blessed and lucky to have those relationships in my life. And I truly think so much has to do, again, going back to that sense of community that was kind of embedded into us by being in a small town and our parents really modeled close friendships to us. And so that I think really helped us in in developing this lifelong friendship that we have now. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I have friends from elementary school too. Not really from, no, I have one friend from kindergarten that we're still close, Um, but like third grade, um, probably one of my best friends I met in third grade and we're still friends today. But you sound like the perfect person for our conversation today because of that piece about your parents really instilling that that idea of having, choosing close friendships. Yes. Yeah. I'm blessed. And again, I they they always modeled how friendships, you know, I think should be. Not that they were perfect and not that their friendships were perfect. But I think, and I, and I say this in working with kids and parents so much, is that so much is done just by modeling to kids, um, appropriate reactions, conversations, you know, social skills. It's not even always in what you're teaching them directly. A lot of it is just what you're doing and they pick up on that. And so I think that seeing my parents have those relationships really encouraged me to want those, those types of relationships in my life. And I think a big thing that they really taught us is aspects of good friendships and kind of giving us some education of what friendships really, what good friendships really look like. Yeah. I talk about that a lot as well, modeling and also recognizing that kids have a really good BS monitor. Like you have to be really authentic (laughs) with your kids because our brains are meant to pick up threats and BS is a threat, is a type of threat. Something's not right, right? Exactly. Yeah. So much. So we've talked about this, you talked about this best friend that you've had and this group of friends you've had. Um, And can you tell me how those friendships have changed or evolved over time? Because you mentioned going to elementary school, middle, I mean, those are a lot of big life changes, right? High school, college, getting married, having kids. Those are all big changes. So how do you think that's impacted your relationships? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, we were just, we kind of just reunited, I guess you would say over Thanksgiving and we were actually talking about the same thing of just how much we've all grown. You know, some of us, I would say, are are different people now. And just because of the experiences that we've been faced with individually, you know, some of us have gone through grad school or in medical residency or becoming a doctor, married, kids, dealing with relationship changes and stressors. And so, you know, life has changed all of us, and I'm sure it will continue to do that. But it's really great to be able to get together and connect, you know, kind of right where we left off. But I do think it's always, you know, we're all in different cities now, different states. And I think we just have that because our relationship and friendship is so strong, we can get together and pick up right where we left off. You know, and and again, throughout that too, we've all met other friends, you know, in other areas of our lives. And you know, it's not to say we're just only friends with each other. And that's a topic that I see so much, of course, with younger kiddos, because developmentally, they get stuck on that idea of, I can only have one best friend. And if my best friend is hanging out with someone else, we can't be friends anymore. And so that's been interesting to see just how we've all evolved and have other friendships outside of our kind of core circle. And so that's been an interesting factor as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things that came up for me with, you know, the evolving friendships was time, right? Like when we were kids and we were first becoming friends, we could hang out, no stress, like spend time together. And then as life, not even just having kids, but, you know, my best friend that I mentioned from third grade, she went to med school and, you know, I had no perception. I had no perspective of what med school looked like. You know, I knew it was hard, but I had no idea. And so it almost felt like she disappeared for that time. And so, I feel like there's a lot of evolving in communication that happens in relationships as we get older, right? Yes. Like, like I would, I think in high school, we probably were more catty, my group of girlfriends, and we would just be mad at each other and we'd buddy off mad at one of one or the other because there were three really close friends, 
me, my friend from third grade, and another friend that was in sixth grade. And so we kind of became this little threesome, but we would, one of us would piss off the other one, and then it would become a two against one thing. And so that kind of would be like the vent session. But something I've learned, A, from becoming a therapist, B, from listening to Brene Brown and C, from experiences, clear is kind, right? When I was getting married and my best friend was in med school and had a lot of other stuff going on, if something hurt me, like she wasn't able to do something, I would express that to her. Like it wouldn't be a talking about her with my other friends. It would be literally calling her on the phone and being like, hey, this is hurtful and I'm not asking you to change because she can't change her med school schedule, but I just need to express that it's hurting me and that's painful so that we can have that conversation. We've had lots of conversations like that. And I think that is something we aren't modeling a lot to our kids, that, that direct communication. I completely agree with you on that. I think I think a, a lot of people, and I, I probably admit I've, I've gotten caught up in that too sometimes, is it's hard to be really vulnerable and to be straightforward and to, that I think it all stems from, or a lot stems from that fear of rejection. You know, if I'm honest with my friend, are they still going to accept me or is our relationship going to change? And it really takes that one person, that one step to kind of open that gateway. And I think, like you said, I mean, in high school, similarly, there's just, more petty things that we worry about. And so I think that definitely comes with maturity and, and just kind of growing through life. And I think we come to realize that, but I agree. And like I said, I probably could do a better job of that, of just being more direct and more open, you know, with friends and, and the friendships that I've been able to do that. And I've definitely seen a lot more benefits, right? Because we can we can be more direct. You can be more open with them. And it doesn't feel like you're having to worry because especially as we get older and we're doing more things, we have more responsibilities. That's something that we shouldn't necessarily have to worry about. And then I wouldn't go back to the modeling part with that too because I think a reason that cattiness happens so often or the like passive non-confrontational things are because a lot of times our parents have modeled that when we are upset, we're upset about things that to us feel big, but to them seem small. And so, you know, it makes it you really insecure to be like, hey, this bothered me because then are you being a drama queen? Are you being oversensitive? Are you making a mountain out of a what is it, what mountain out of a molehill? Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> Those kinds of things. Right. But also like sometimes we're even our parents will kind of dismiss their own feelings and model that for us like oh, well, I guess my friend's just busy or, oh, this friend didn't even call me to tell me they weren't meeting me for lunch and I was sitting at lunch and maybe I got the information wrong. Like it's a lot of questioning ourselves and being internal versus externally like calling your friend and being like, hey, did I get this wrong? I am literally sitting at a restaurant waiting for you and you haven't shown up, right? Like how do we model having those conversations? How do we model having confidence in ourselves? Yeah. And I think, again, it all starts with you. And I tell that to parents all the time in in different realms, not just relating to friendships, but you have to be able to be aware of yourself. Like self-awareness is huge and checking in with yourself often, making sure that you're kind of being there for you before you can be there for others, you know, like on an airplane with oxygen masks. Um, we have to be fully present before we can give to others and so or fully in tune with ourselves and i think a big key word too is just being intentional so being intentional recognizing how you're communicating and it can be in the very small instances of ordering a coffee at starbucks or again chatting with a friend but especially in front of our kids just being intentional with your language um, is is really important and and like you said too modeling when something isn't always right, not feeling like you have to have this big shield or perfect response. You know, I think it helps normalize to kids that you're going through something that they probably are also going through as well, mm-hmm. you know, in different ways. I agree. And then also just building that relationship with your kids that they can come to you about things and you're going to yeah. take them seriously. You know, this morning I was super stressed out because there's just a lot going on, right? This is like my last big week of like being totally booked, scheduled, crazy. My boundary starts next week where I'm like slowing down (laughs) and kind of regrouping. But my daughter was trying to show me her drawing and engaged with me. 
and I was like unable to hear her. Like I was unable to connect with her. I was so distracted and stressed and busy and getting frustrated. And she could feel that. And, you know, as I was doing that, I'm thinking, what message am I sending her? Right. So something I've been talking a lot about in this and then just in all my presentations I give is that self-awareness. So if you can be willing, and this does take a lot of vulnerability for yourself even, to step outside of yourself and say, look at it and say, okay, what's happening here? I need to calm down. I'm dismissing my child's feelings. I'm not building a relationship where she's going to feel valued. And so then it's put it down and she was, she had drawn a picture. So it was about, oh, I can see you put a lot of work into this picture. Look at all the colors you used. You filled the whole page with color. It's, I can just see how much work you put in kind of thing. Um, and just engage with her. And then, you know, she was able to express that she was anxious about something and, and having that experience, right? But I have to be able to be aware of how I'm responding and connecting to her in order to make that happen, right? Because yeah. the alternative is I don't, I'm not willing to see that or I'm willing, or I function under the belief that my children should be seen and not heard or what they have to say is not important and what I'm doing is, and they're going to get those messages and they're going to stop connecting. Yes. I really like what you said of just stopping and trying to see it, you know, from the other perspective or asking, looking from yourself, looking at yourself from the outside yeah. um, can be really helpful in understanding how others are perceiving you in those moments. Self-awareness is big and I think a lot of us struggle with that. Yeah. Well, it's hard. And we're in a go, go, go society. Like literally in that moment, I was in go, 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 which is why I disconnected. You know, um, and the other part of that awareness piece and looking at yourself is that shame that we all feel like, you know, you're a newer mom. So I'm sure you've experienced lots of the mom guilt, right? It's not just a myth. It's a real thing. And so like being able to say, I'm not connecting with my child. I'm being dismissive, but in a place of grace and understanding, like I am stressed. I do have a yes. lot going on yes. and I'm going to pause and I'm going to breathe and I'm going to connect with my child just for this moment because it might gain me a lot more than me continuing on the path I'm on. And yes. so we have to move away from shame because if the alternative is I'm like, you're a terrible mother, you don't even deserve to be a mother. Like, look how horrible you're being. This is, you tell parents all the time to connect to your kids and you're not even connecting yours, right? If I go down that path, I'm not gonna be a, wanna be aware of myself if I'm gonna beat myself up when I develop awareness. So it's also about right. that relationship with yourself. And I think having healthy friendships starts with having a healthy relationship with yourself. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. And it's, I think it's a journey that we're all on. And sometimes, you know, again, I think it ebbs and flows at times where we feel really connected or feel really in tune with ourselves. And then some seasons we're just, you know, we, we don't, or we feel like we're straying. And so um, I think it's definitely a journey too, and kind of getting, getting to that place. Um, yeah, I think self-awareness and being intentional really helps. Yeah. So on that note, since we're talking about developing those healthy relationships, and you and I both work a lot with children and adolescents, and part of our work with them is helping them figure out where safe and healthy friendships are, how do you determine what's safe and healthy and what's not. Can you talk to, a little bit to like parents or listeners out there who maybe need some help navigating that with their kids, helping them choose healthy friendships and recognize when a friendship isn't healthy and what their role is in that? Yeah, um, that's pretty tough too. And I think, again, a big thing that I've been talking with kids about is there's sometimes there's different types of friendships. You know, sometimes you can feel really, really connected to someone and share the same values, same, share similar interests. And then there's some friends that may be more on kind of acquaintance level where maybe you play with them on the playground every now and then, but you don't necessarily hang out with them after school always. And so I think that's a big key is that there's different types of friendships and knowing that not every single friendship has to be really, really deep, right? But I think the big, the core thing is, regardless of, of the types, is the mutual respect for one another. And so even if it's someone who you're not very, very close with, as long as you guys are able to respect each other, that's a big key factor. I think in any friendship, trust is a major factor as well, as well as being genuine, um, sometimes being selfless, which I think more of us could try to do in relationships. And then again, respect. And I think every friendship comes with 
vulnerability as well. So taking that chance to be vulnerable with someone and as parents, you know, to encourage your kids to develop some of these friendships, you know, sometimes we think of it in terms of how we would approach them. You really kind of have to dial dial down lots or dial back and think of, you know, if you were six or eight, how would you how would you spark a conversation with someone? You know, kids, it literally can start with a wave. You can wave at someone in class or wave at someone on the playground. Maybe the next day or the next recess, you go up and say, hey, my name is Johnny or Mackenzie, you know, whatever. And so I think really giving them concrete examples of how to start those conversations can really, really help them start establishing a longer, you know, a deeper relationship with these peers. So I think, again, first, first would be kind of giving them some pretty concrete examples of social skills and communication skills of how to spark conversation, how to recognize when someone's interested in a conversation with you or when someone's not. Like maybe they're turning their back, maybe they're crossing their arms and looking at you. Maybe their eyes are looking away. That might show that they're not interested in your conversation. So parents can really help their kids notice some of those verbal and nonverbal social skills that may help create those those relationships. And then going back to your question, I think being able to maintain healthy relationships, that really stems from some of those bigger core values of trust, loyalty, respect, genuineness, selflessness. And I know those are really vague, but I think those are really powerful. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know you work with a lot of kids as well. And I'm sure you have lots of ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because I think I always say to my clients, you know, when we talk about people that aren't in the room, I'm like, you know, this is out of context. And I think everyone's behavior um, makes sense in context. I'm a humanist. So I believe, you know, people, kids who are manipulative are doing manipulations out of some need. And so I don't think anyone's necessarily unhealthy or not. I don't want to say not unhealthy because Clearly, people are unhealthy, but I don't think anyone's a bad person. I think people do things out of what they perceive as the solution to a problem that they're facing. And it's just that we aren't always the best problem solvers. Sometimes our solutions don't work. And so something I've kind of been developing as I research and in theory is more about developing that inner confidence in our kids that they know what their values are and they can make choices within a friendship that kind of is preventative against being manipulated, right? Like if your friend is trying to convince you to do something bad, it's not because they're a bad person. Whatever reason they want to do this bad thing, I don't know, adrenaline junkie, I don't know what it is, right? I don't know what your reason, their reasoning is outside of their context. But whatever the reason is, if you as a person or as a child have confidence in yourself and believe that you belong, believe that you deserve healthy friendships— then I think you can easily say, you know, that is not something that I would consider a good idea. So I am not going to do that with you. I'm happy to do something else with you, but I'm not going to do that. I I really don't think you should probably do it either. And we can think of something else to do, but I'm not going to do that. And so I think being able to stand up for yourself in a friendship is also a sign of a healthy friendship. That is huge. Confidence is, that is a big one. And I forget that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I I feel like with most of my kiddos, regardless of what their presenting concern is, I focus on social skills and self-confidence or self-esteem because I think those factors come to play in so many different realms. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is true. And especially when a a lot of the kids now or our kids now are dealing with bullying and, you know, either in person or, or online with social media and the the different apps, it's pretty terrible what's happening. And so I think that having that confidence really empowers them to be able to stand up for themselves and and to be able to make the right choices. And that will in turn kind of, that will help them with those choice, with those harder choices that come later in life, you know? And so I, I think that that is definitely a big factor. I agree. And I think, I mean, going back to that, having that awareness to step outside of yourself piece that I was talking about earlier. So that's actually a form. It's called Mindsight. It was developed by Dan Siegel. You go inside, you see what's happening, you come outside and do something active with it. 
right? Make a choice. And I feel like that is so necessary for us to teach ourselves and then teach our kids because of what you just mentioned, screens and social media. That's another really big area of interest and research for me. And, you know, these screens can have vast impacts on our brain and our brain is always learning and and technology is not going anywhere. And salesmanship, which is, right, the business of selling things isn't going anywhere. And they're going to continue to use social media and psychology to help influence who gets their product and how. And, you know, there's a lot of different things out there. And so that awareness of what am I feeding my brain? What am I feeding myself? What am I spending time with? Like, there's great things out there on the internet. There's great things out there on social media. Mm -hmm. Groups of kids that are maybe usually marginalized, like LGBTQ plus community, right? They can actually find some pretty safe homes, some pretty safe families right. online. So right. there's positive, like virtual groups. There's so much stuff out there that that can be really positive. There's researchers in development of different video game aspects that, you know, teach empathy, teach social skills, all that stuff. There's great stuff out there, but there's also a lot of junk, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you can go to the grocery store and you can be in the produce section or you can go to the grocery store and hang out in the candy aisle, Right. What are you putting in your basket? What are you putting yeah. in your brain? What are you feeding yourself? Because whether you realize it or not, every single thing that touches you, touches your brain, has an impact. It leaves a mark. Right. And so I just think really developing that awareness, knowing your values and really directing your choices accordingly. And that goes to friendships too. Like what friendships are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding yourself friendships that make you feel insecure, make you feel like you have to do certain things to be included, to live up, right? Make you be mean to other people, right? How are these things lining up with who you want to be as a person? And this is something we can start teaching our kids to be aware of early on. You can always redirect them to explore their values and how things make them feel. Yes. I completely agree with that. And I think all of those things can help you develop healthier relationships. And then also, again, that self-awareness helps you identify when relationships are toxic or, or not so healthy. Like you said, if you're being, if you're being used by others or if you're really codependent on someone else and they're manipulating or controlling, mm-hmm. um, those all come into play. The self-awareness helps you to recognize those, those factors yeah. to make changes. Absolutely. And being able to be direct, I think that comes with confidence yeah. too, right? If somebody's being catty and you find out they're telling your secrets behind your back or talking, making up stories about you behind your back and you think they're your friend, the answer isn't to go make up stories about them and and go off and start this, you know, almost bidding war of who's who's worse and who's better, but to go to that person and be like, I do not appreciate what's happening. I'm not going to share more information with you. And um, I don't think I can be friends with you if you're going to continue to behave this way. I don't know what your reasons are, but it's not working for me. And I'd appreciate you to stop. Right. That's a really big ask, though. We really have to feel like we are deserving people to be able to go up to somebody directly and say to them. And I think it's even harder for I think that's so much harder for younger kids and teens, too, because there is so much I feel like especially middle school to high school insecurity going on and Mm -hmm. and again self-exploration wondering who they are and how they fit in in the world and so being able to be that direct and forward takes a lot a lot of self-confidence and so that it's I think it gets easier as we get older um because again I think we feel more secure with Mm -hmm. ourselves not always but I think generally but I do think that's harder for younger kids and that's something that has been a topic that's come up a lot in my sessions. And so, again, going back to confidence, helping them really try to build that it helps them to be more direct. Yeah. And then a big a big thing, too, with kiddos is remembering that they can still always ask for help. So I think parents can, you know, if you're noticing on a play date that someone, you know, there's some turmoil going on between the kids, I, it's totally okay to step in, not necessarily to tell them what to do, but to help kind of call out perspectives and kind of help each of them understand where the other is coming from and mm-hmm. to be able to communicate easier because sometimes it is hard for kids to kind of have the courage to do that. Yeah, it's uh, hard so for us parents. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think that's a big thing that I've been encouraging parents to do as well is stepping in when they see their kids needing help. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, they eventually can do it on their own. Um, more to. 
Yeah, and I'm going to bring that back to the awareness piece again, too, because for both adults and children, being courageous, doing courageous things feels really scary, and our anxiety can get the best of us. But afterwards, Mm -hmm. after we've done that brave thing, bringing our awareness to how good that feels, how powerful it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as adults and as children, right? Like when your child does something brave, be like, I know that was really scary and that you, you know, what tools did you use to be able to do that, even though it was really scary? Mm -hmm. And then like, how do you feel now? Right. After somebody does something nice for somebody else, how do you feel now? After somebody, you know, what did something out of confidence, how does that feel? Because our body will give us signals if something works or doesn't work. And if we can hone in on when it does work, when that courage was there and we were able to, it makes it easier to do it the next time because you know that that, that reward is there at the end, that good feeling of I've done something special. Yes. Yes. And tying that back to modeling. So I think that when as parents in our adult relationships or friendships, calling out when we do something like that, you know, in age appropriate ways, you don't always have to share all the details of everything, but Mm -hmm. calling out, you know, every time you are in a situation, just kind of talking out loud. Sometimes you're riding in the car with your kiddos, just to kind of tell them where you're at or how that made you feel to do something that is huge for them and their understanding and development. Yeah. Yeah. That modeling and going back to that. So Bullying has been a hot button topic for years. We've seen bullying occur between and across all ages and cultures. We see it on virtual platforms. We see it in person. So I thought we should spend some time talking about bullying, what causes it, how to make sure we're not participating in it, and also how to help others learn to be resilient against bullying. I'm curious about your experience with bullying, with working with bullying and thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with everything you said. And unfortunately that is right on key. When you said a hot topic, I feel like most of the kids and teens that I work with are struggling with that in the social realm. And a lot of times too, that can in turn cause social anxiety, which is a whole nother issue in itself. But I do feel like at least for middle, around middle school age and up, most of the bullying does happen on social media or different platforms. And so when I'm talking with kids, a big area of, of how they can protect themselves is just limiting themselves on social media, um, trying to sometimes avoid certain platforms. You know, if, if they are getting bullied or are attacked on social media. A lot of times too, we'll talk about ways to set limits, ways to block people. Sometimes getting adults involved um, is an answer as well. And then for parents trying to monitor their child's use on social media is important too. And a big thing when we talk about bullying with kids is, you know, focusing on what you can control. We can't control other people. We can't control what they're going to say, what they're going to do. All you can control is how you are responding and what you're doing to, you know, potentially cause some of that. Now, again, it's a lot of times bullying happens. It's the other person they're choosing to say or do something really negative towards someone else. And I think a lot of times that comes from like low self-esteem or feeling like they need to fit in. So they want other, they want to bring other people down to seem cool because they get a lot of attention from that too. And so, I don't know. I think the biggest thing is being able to empower our kids and teens and teaching them how to assert themselves in healthy ways. And with bullying, whether it's online or in person, I think a big answer is creating space. So whether that's walking away physically from someone, whether that's blocking someone, um, getting off of the social media platform to avoid that. I think a big answer always is walking away and just taking space from that person. So we talk a lot about that healthy assertiveness, how you can protect yourself and empower yourself. A lot of times too, that comes with confidence. And I think we mentioned that earlier of it's really important to have confidence in yourself. And that helps you to be able to stand up for yourself because you're not worried about, you know, oh, if I say this, will this person not like me anymore? Will people start talking about me? 
So increasing self-confidence is always an area that I focus on as well. Yeah. I think a lot of what bullying is, is that somebody's having a reaction to somebody else's behavior. And then we hold on to it because we don't know what to do with it. And so then we attack and then people just jump on the bandwagon because everyone's triggered, right? It's that tribe complex in our brain. We, we band together with the people that we connect to. So like the friends of that person that was triggered or upset or hurt or whatever happened kind of jump on there to, to defend that person. But really, you know, that's our brains were designed in a survival way and mm-hmm. That doesn't function in today's society. These kids at school are not out to get you, even though your brain thinks it's like tribe versus tribe. It's not. And so if you have that awareness of what's going on inside of you and had that modeled by your parents, you guys slow down, do check-ins when you have um, behavioral reactions. I think it, it creates the ability to have that direct communication. And I really do think, you know, I've read a lot of the research and they've tried so many things for bullying. And honestly, the only thing that's really had positive outcomes, all the trainings and everything, the one thing that's had positive outcomes is assertiveness training, which is not even for bullies or people who are being bullied. It's for people who are bystanders to be able to step in, right, and say something and do something. And that seems to be the only thing that really works or has had some positive results. And... Yeah, I think it's just a lot about really helping our kids mature in a way that's different than how maybe we matured. I think it's a lot. Most of parenting is self-work. I really do believe that. I really think it's focus on yourself. Look at your own behaviors. If you don't want your child to be a bully, if you don't want your child to be bullied, look at how you function in your own relationships and in your own world. Yes, that is so, so true. And I like that of that social support of bystanders stepping in. And again, with that, they themselves have to feel confident, you know, and so that assertiveness in there as well. But unfortunately, it is something that happens too often. And I think it's, again, like you said, you know, bullying's always been around, but I think now, you know, sometimes it's getting, it's really vicious and there's just so many different ways. Yeah. We all have this observer complex now because we're just used to observing. We scroll through videos of things. And nobody's actually aware of the need to step in anymore. I think I was going to say something about like perspective taking too, because I think younger kiddos developmentally don't always or aren't able to do that where they're understanding someone else's perspective. And so sometimes too, I think bullying can be misconstrued in their minds and they're not always understanding like where the other person is coming from. Or like you said, sometimes it's coming from a place of just reactivity. Um, and it's not always like a personal attack. And so that's, again, a lot of work that I do with kiddos is just social skills training, how to try to understand others' perspectives, where they're, where they're coming from, whether you're on the bullying side or the victim side. Um, I feel like that's a big piece of work as well. It's helping kids understand why someone might be doing something or why someone might be feeling a certain way. Yeah. And I think counselors' roles in schools is really big there. You know, I'm sitting here as you're talking, just processing the situations and thinking, even if we teach somebody communication skills and they go up to this child that's bullying them and like, hey, I don't know why you're being so mean to me. I'm really, you know, let's talk about it. Like, I'm happy to like make adjustments or hear you. But the other child hasn't been taught to have that A, awareness and B, communication style they're going to get more reactive. They might have shame. They might have guilt. They might, and they might write our defense mechanisms and come. So then they're going to be angry. So that could even increase the bullying. So I feel like we need a counselor to create like a really vulnerable situation there, you know, to help them navigate it and help that person, you know, put down that guard, recognize that guard and be like, okay, you know. I wish kids, I wish that there was a specific class for kids with just (laughs) that they could go to and learn life skills, social skills, emotion recognition, regulation skills, everything. I mean, that's why we're here, right? I know. But I'm like, this needs to be a part of their everyday life. I know. And it's hard because like, we want to ask the parents, like I always say, and I want parents to hear this who are listening. I always say like, parents need to develop awareness. Parenting starts with self-development. But I also know that we're asking a lot of parents when I say that. I know parents are dual income or single parents, like they are working really hard just to put food on the table 
and keep a roof over their heads and manage all the other busy, crazy things that are being requested of them. And then asking them to spend time on self-development and growth and all those things and work on that so that their kids can see it is a bit, it, it can feel like a big ask. It's really hard to consistently make time for that. I mean, most parents don't even make time for self-care, right? Right. It just gets put on the back burner because you're so focused on getting through the day and making sure everyone's fed and where they need to be and in bed. And then there's no time, you know, there's no energy at the end of the day. And I think that's also why, you know, kind of what we're talking about today, why these friendships are so important and so vital. Like we need people to lean on. We need people to say, Hey, I'm super overwhelmed. This is what my life looks like right now. Is there any, or just say that. And then the friend can be like, Hey, I'm going to help. This is what I'm going to do. And not even let your friend say no, like be like, no, I'm doing this. Like I'm going to pick up your kid from school to whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and on that note too, making time and kind of going back into adult friendships, but it's, it's an effort. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, you have to put in that effort and make time to have time with friends, you know, to be able to have an hour or 30 minutes even just to kind of unwind and and connect with them. And a lot of times during the busy, during our busy schedules, I mean, I catch myself in those moments too, where we've made plans and then the night comes and it's like, oh gosh, I really just need to sit on the couch and do nothing Mm -hmm. right now. So it's hard. It's, you have to be intentional and you have to make those efforts. And that just plays in with self-care and making sure that you're finding time for yourself, but also to kind of harbor those, those friendships too. Yeah. I feel like almost everything goes back to childhood, but it really does start with those early childhood messages and seeing, you know, as, as a boy, maybe watching how your dad is engaging or interacting with other men and in, in their lives. And then also, again, as, as the father modeling appropriate emotional connection and an expression, have you read that book, Raising Cain about kind of, um, protecting. So it's called raising cane, protecting the emotional life of boys. And it's probably a little outdated now, but it's really great. And it talks a lot about just how, even as young boys we're taught, we, we teach them to be stronger or, you know, even if, if there's a twin, a girl and boy twin, you know, the, the boy is taught to kind of protect its, their sister and, and be tough for her and stand up for her. So it's even in like the, the little messages that you're giving them when they're really young. And it's not that those are bad things at all, but it's important to be able to recognize that they have their emotions too. And it's okay for them to express that. And so it really does start from such a young age. And honestly, I think, you know, thinking about adult males too. Just as I said, you know, when kids are trying to create a friendship, all it takes is a simple wave on the playground or, Hey, my name is so-and-so. I really think it just takes one person in the relationship to open up and kind of go there. You know, I mean, if kind of break the pattern of talking about surface level things or making jokes or talking about work, you know, I think it takes just one person in the relationship to be like, you know, like I'm really struggling with this. And, and if, if that other person is willing to go there too, you know, that can really create kind of a deeper connection there. And even if they're not, you know, I think it opens the floor for them to know, okay, you know, maybe he really trusts me. So it, it kind of starts those feelings of trust and, you know, being able to respect each other. I really think it just takes that one, one step, which goes back to feeling confident and feeling confident enough to be vulnerable with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love the way little kids play on the playground before they have, I feel like school, not that there's anything wrong with school, but school kind of institutes more social hierarchy and fear of vulnerability. But when you see little kids playing on the playground, like maybe preschool age or earlier, they just go up to each other and they just are like, they just Mm -hmm. play with each other. Like it's nothing. I think that as we're teaching kids more about social rules, social norms, and they're experiencing things like rejection and fear, and as that social anxiety grows, it's really important to teach kids that like fear isn't the end. One of our therapists always recommends this book. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, something like that. And I haven't read it, but I love the title because that's that awareness piece, that's that slowing down and being like, hey, this person's by themselves. They maybe look sad or they maybe look alone, 
I have a lot of anxiety about randomly going up and starting a conversation with them because they could be rude or they could be whatever, whatever, whatever. Being able to be aware that you're having those feelings and thoughts and do it anyways, go up to them anyways and say hi and try to engage. Right. And what, like, what's the worst that can happen? And I think that's what helps like with that anxiety too, is just processing Okay. Worst case scenario, the person, what are they going to do? Turn away from you and not acknowledge you. Okay. That would kind of, you know, stink, but just kind of processing what would be the worst thing. Yeah. So, okay. This has been good. Final words. So the impact of positive social support can't be understated. I feel like that's what we've talked about this whole time. Like it just, it's necessary in all facets of our life. And research has found health benefits of strong, positive social connections outweigh just about anything else. So when I look up social connections, things that come up are like, if you look at like correlations for long life, like the people who live the longest above like exercise, healthy eating, good genes, the very first thing on all of the research is strong social support, having positive social relationships. Um, And so, I, I mean, we can't downplay it. And then mental health the same way, like, Resiliency is related to have strong social support. People who can reach out to other people do better when they're struggling. Um, So let's talk a little bit about our favorite stories of resiliency and the power of friendship and kind of talk about what its impact is. Oh, yeah, that's a big topic. I don't, I mean, in thinking through all of my friendships, I feel like, I don't know, the biggest way that I know that my friendships are strong is when, is when we're able to just relate and connect and on similar things. Um, for instance, like the other night I hadn't talked to a friend and in a while, and she's a good, a good friend that I roomed with in college and we both have young babies and she's in residency and we don't get to talk very often, but the other night she called me and we were talking and she was on her way home from work and I was doing nighttime routine with my baby, like feeding and putting her in the bath. And, you know, we're trying to have a conversation while my daughter is screaming and crying and splashing and trying to stand up. And it just, and she's on the other line, like, I got it. I understand. Okay. You got to go. So good talking to you. And so it's things like that, where you just, through the years, we've been able to connect in so many different ways. And I think it's just that underlying understanding where the other person is. I feel like that's when I feel really connected to my friends. And there's so many other stories too, where other friends will just be, haven't talked in a long time and I'll get a text from that person. And it's the most ironic thing because I had maybe woken up that morning thinking, you know, I really miss her. I need to text her or I need to call her. Um, And then I get a, a text from her, you know, so it's things like that where you just feel that like overwhelming connectedness and in the small ways. And so to me, that shows me, you know, that's when I feel most connected to friends is when I get those little tidbits. Yeah. But that's, that's a really big, a really big realm too. I'm curious, what are your, what are some stories that you might have? So friendships and resiliency. Gosh, I got a lot of different friend experiences. I've had to make some really hard choices around friendship, but there's one friend that I have, like one of my very, very best friends who, you know, as we've become moms and her kids are older, one of her kids is older and like we're in different stages of our lives and whatever, but she's always there. And that has always struck me. Like, it's really important. My husband and I, this is something probably we joined on is like loyalty and being a good person and being there for people very, very big value in our home. And this friend is the one who always shows up no matter what, like she has her own issues. She has her own stresses. She's a busy mom, a busy working mom, just like me. And I feel like we can get really wrapped up in like, I'm too busy. And she never does. Right. I mean, she is so busy. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how she does it, but you know, when, um, I was, had my second child and I, you know, have a newborn and my husband had to travel for work at the time. And my daughter was, I think three on her way to fourth time. That's when she kind of started being getting a little bit defiant, resistant to things. And I was exhausted and it was bedtime and she was just a disaster. 
I've since learned when my daughter, that daughter becomes a disaster, usually it means she's not feeling well and she's about to wake up in the morning with a fever. I've learned that over several, you know, guilty mom moments of, oh, now she's sick and she was awful yesterday and I was not happy. But anyways, this friend, I'd call her and she shows up. So when my daughter wouldn't go to sleep when my husband was out of town and I was like losing it and I was like, I do not have patience left and I can't leave her like this and I don't know what to do. My friend shows up. And she Uh, comes right away. I don't know how she does it. Her and her husband, they're amazing. So he'll like finish bedtime their house or whatever he does. And she just shows up. She always shows up anytime I've called her. And gosh, that's an amazing feeling. Gosh, it's amazing to know that I have somebody who will show up for me. And it makes me feel good. Like I've, you know, helped create that. But also like she's just such a safe person for me. And I think that's what we need is people who know how to show up and also know how to ask for help. And to know what you might need, you know, that's beyond what appears to be on the surface. You know, sometimes thinking of that story too, I have another friend who has visited me and done laundry or cooked for me and my husband and which is just really, really, really special, you know, because it's, it's kind of that unsaid, Hey, I see you. I know what you might be needing right now. And so that is a really strong, a strong thing as well. And it's really amazing that you, you have friends like that in your life. And I I hope that most people can try to, to foster those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think the message from both of us is that it's possible to have friends like that. It's possible. I think some of us, depending on what our upbringing was, we'll learn that you can't depend on others or you only have loyalty and commitment or good friends or whatever to people within your family. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. messages out there, but it's possible to have, to develop friendships with people who will show up for you and that it's okay to do that. And it's okay to lean on people. I feel like we've covered so much. I've really enjoyed talking about, about friendships. And again, I feel like we've talked about, it's so important to have that social support and it all starts with, you know, self-awareness, being intentional, modeling good relationships and responses, you know, and emotional connectedness to our children, you know, to be able to, to, for them to be able to grow, you know, and to be able to see that. And yeah, I I feel like we've covered so much, but I've really enjoyed talking about it. And thank you for having me. um, Yeah. Thanks for making the time. Of course. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us reach more listeners, please share it with someone, you know, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or review. To see what's coming next, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Finn Council, or visit our website at finnegancounseling.org. Before I go, I'd also like to thank the people who made this project possible. Our wonderful experts who joined me for each episode, our production team at Three Wire Creative, our editor and production assistant, Giselle Dixon, and the amazing leadership team and supporters at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time.